Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for being the starting point to our faith. Father, I thank you for being the ending point, Father, where we get to be with you for all of eternity. Father, you are the Alpha. You are the Omega. You are everything in between. Um, Father, you are the reason that we are here. Father, you are the reason that we are tuning in. Father, um, you are the source of life. Father, your name is beautiful because of your character, because of what you have done, because of the meaning that it brings us, Father. Our faith is in you, and Father, when times inside and outside the church feel so uncertain, Father, I thank you that we can rest in the certainty of our faith. So it's in your powerful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. My oldest son is at the age uh, that is basically just, it's fun to screw with him. And, and so a few weeks ago, we're playing football out in the field. And, uh, and I'm like, You're, he's never played football in his life. That's his brother Brady. And he's catching balls. And he's like, dude, I, I, dad, I, I want to I play football. And I was like, all right, like, let's sign you up. So we signed him up. And he has to get a physical. Football ended up getting canceled. But anyways, he had to get his physical. And so for, for like two weeks... I'm, I'm at that, you know, I'm that dad to just like, like scare the poop out of him. And, and I'm like, dude, like you're going to go get your, your physical, but they're going to give you shots in the arm, shots in the neck, shots in the butt. You're going to get all sorts of shots. And he's like, no, dad, no, like you're kidding. You're kidding. And he would like, like tell me I'm a liar, but then turn to mommy and be like, is daddy serious? Because he didn't know how to take it. He, he knows that his dad's a good person. He knows that his dad would never lie to him. He knows that his dad would never put him in danger, but he also knew like, no, I don't want to get a shot. No, no, no. He didn't get any shots. Everything was fine. But his faith in me led to a crisis of faith of sorts as I was screwing with him and just having a good time with him. And eventually he was taking it so seriously that I had to tell him, dude, I'm just kidding. We by nature don't trust things that we cannot see. My son, until the, the needle was in front of him, he's going he's gonna to have this, 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 this hardship. But, but faith often transcends proof. It, it's something, but, but that's not to say that faith doesn't call us to believe or, 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 or to ignore our brains or ignore our logic. To believe, we believe and we hope to, that what is to be true. Let me, let, me, let me paint it like this. You trust that the plane is going to bring you to an airport that you cannot see. You, you never see the, the pilot, but you get yourself into a tin box and you fly. Why? Because you have faith that has been backed up by, by time and experience that you're going to get to where you need to go. You allow yourself to unconsciously go under the needle. Why? Because your doctor is knowledgeable and experienced. Can you prove that you're going to be safe? Can you prove that you're going to be healed? No, but based on your knowledge and, the, and your experience, you willingly put your unconscious mind under the needle. In time, experience reinforces the decision to trust. Faith, trust, allows us to move beyond what we see in order to experience what is to be. Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 4. It says this, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. 
and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God whom he believed. This passage speaks of, of that the basis of faith is trust. It illustrates now, Paul illustrates two different groups. One that would build their faith, build their trust in works, doing, doing, doing. And another that would build their trust, build their faith like Abraham in the trust of God. Stirred up by the law. That's only going to bring us to a place of disobedience when we can't hold it perfectly. Or we can put our faith in the promises of God that is apart from works which is trust. And so for Abraham, he, he built his faith upon God and he would become, that he would become the father of many nations, although he is old as dirt. And so for the Christian, we, like Abraham, build our faith in God in the promise of Jesus' death resurrection that would pay for all of our sins that we have ever committed and will ever commit, making us righteous before God. Times are uncertain, are they not? I think what this passage is driving us to is this one point here. The certainty of God's promises validates the certainty of my faith. The certainty of God's promises validates the certainty of my faith. And so as we continue on in Romans now, verses 17 through 25, Paul is going to provide us four proofs to the certainty of our faith based off of the certainty of God. First is this, creation is a proof. He says this, he goes on, he says, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Life comes to the dead, how? Faith. We're going to hear in a moment, we're going to look at uh, Abraham and Sarah. uh, Sarah had a dead womb, yet God brought life to it, brought creation out of it. He paints a picture of of the world, of of the existence of mankind, of the, the creation that you can look outside and say, this would never exist apart from God. I can't create this world. And yet I look at creation, and by faith I say that God brought something out of nothing. Creation screams that a God did something humanly impossible just with this planet. I was probably like the 10th wellspringer on vacation that went to our Arcadia National Park. And uh, I went out, so on my vacation, I, I went there, and uh, there was just a, like, like, these pictures don't do justice. But I was there, and it had like that, like Acadia National Park uh, up in Maine had like, a, as you kind of go up the Cadillac Mountain and you look out, it kind of had a uh, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, like the same, those are the same movies, but like that kind of that feel of like that Scottish, like whatever. And, uh, and, and it was just beautiful. And I, I remember climbing, climbing up the mountain, and, he, and my son Landon was like, Dad, God made all this. I was like, absolutely. Like, it was so stinking beautiful. We went, we went to uh, Waterville Valley in, uh, in New England, uh, in New Hampshire, and the same thing. We climbed mountains. I climbed a 4,000-footer, and just looking out at God's creation, just overwhelmed by the magnitude and the goodness of God. And then I, and then I got back, and I mentioned to Graham and to Jillian and, and to Heather Wilson about how beautiful it was. And they're like, yeah, it's kind of not that big of a deal if you ever go out west. Out west is like so much more beautiful. And I was like, well, you're a buzzkill, but thanks for being, being my friend. But it really was so beautiful. 
The object of our faith is the God of the impossible. Every day, scientists do deal with faith when they look at creation. They are not actually opposed to faith. You would think that science and the Bible are actually opposed, but they're really not. There is a word for faith in science. It's just simply called theory. I, I take what I see and find it reasonable to believe in a God behind what I see. Science takes what is seen and is known and then creates a theory based off of what is unseen and unknown. And so my question here is, how does creation inform your faith? We move on and, and we see this, that the certainty of God's, of God's promises validates the, the certainty of my faith. Creation improved. And then we have a, a pro-creation improved. Back when we go to, to Sarah, he says this in the, in the text. He says, in hope, uh, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, that, that as he had seen, had, had been told, you shall, show, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. <laughs> and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Wait, you know, there's more, yeah. There's another, yeah, thank you. Uh, no, unbelief made him waver uh, concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as, as he grew in the glory of God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Sarah is old. She is barren. This, this doesn't happen without faith. This promise is not possible. This is a 100-year-old man. This is about a 90-year-old woman being confident that God promised a baby's going to come up outside of me to the point where I'm going to put a nursery up. Like, they are trusting. Like, would your 100-year-old grandmother be able to convince you that a baby's coming? Abraham never ignored the evidence. He hoped against hope. He faced the facts. He, he took them into full account, but, his, but it never weakened his faith. He, he placed his hope in the supernatural power of God to accomplish what is hopeless by natural means. Yes, you study Abraham through Genesis, and yes, you will see he had his momentary doubts, but they were always overcome by his faith, where he was able to believe without, reserva without reservation that God would fulfill what he had promised. And what did it result in? God looked at his faith, at his trust, and counted to him righteousness. I've, uh, I, if you know John Bratley, uh, you can just say hello to him, and then he'll just go into a whole slew of stories. And so uh, I've talked to him before, and he's like, yeah, like he's told me a story about his faith and about, about childbearing and whatnot. And, I, and so I emailed, I emailed um, them this week, and, and I got this story. And with permission, I, I share with you uh, what was said to me in, uh, about uh, their child's faith. I, I want to read you this email. It says, a, a missed miscarriage, how, what is that? How can this be? There has to be hope. I am so sorry, Amy and John, at the loss, uh, a loss that left us with a big hole in our hearts. We cried and greatly grieved this unspeakable loss. Soon to be reassured by the doctor, you are young, healthy, you will conceive again in no time. With hopeful hearts and great anticipation, no time would soon become a reality, right? Why wouldn't we? Yeah, we trust God. We want another child, right? Month after month, 
passing by and nothing, no pregnancy, no baby. Why? How can this be? Is something wrong? Have I done something wrong? God, please, this will be the month. I just know it. And still nothing but deeper, a deeper hole in my heart. Another countless negative pregnancy test. All, the feel, uh, all of the feels are at, the, uh, and at all time high. Overwhelming sadness, loss, frustration filled the area of my broken heart. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. A roller coaster of emotions still lingered as I surrendered it all over to God, exhausted with disappointment, taking it back, surrendering again, finally finding peace. Faith that if the answer is no, then God will heal my broken heart once and for all. After all, after all, life goes on, and so do we. Many, many passing years, in one morning pillow talk, sounded something like this, me, Amy speaking. Uh, hey, so do you still ever think that we're going to have another baby? John, well, no, I hadn't totally, I hadn't totally up until now. Recently, I saw a dad with his little baby holding his finger, and I kinda, it kind of pulled at my heart swing, uh, heartstrings. So let's pray and talk to God and believe. Amy, yeah, amen. I start to walk away, and John said, Amy, you're pregnant, he says. Me, I look back at him with a, with, a, with a sweet smirk on my face. Eight years has gone by, and now pregnant? God's timing is always perfect. In the power of agreement, our hearts align, and what, we, what will we call her? Her name is Faith. I learned to trust God even in the no. God is a God of procreation. And it's not belief in the miracles. It's belief in the God who works miracles. Faith often goes against the evidence of our, of our senses. But I'm not asking you to believe in the impossible. I'm asking you to believe in the God of the impossible. And so we go on to our next proof. The certainty of God's promises validates the certainty of my faith. Creation is a proof. Procreation is a proof. And resurrection is a proof. Here's what Paul goes on to say. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. God counted to Abraham, uh, he gave, through his faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. And he does the same for you and I, where we are dead in our sins, that we had no life before God, before God, and yet he brings to us life through Jesus Christ. The gospel, and in basic terms, is that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried he rose from the grave. His disciples saw him, including one meeting where he interacted with 500 followers. And by trusting in God's provision, despite the finality of death, we hope against hope that we will receive the gift of eternal life. The source of the Christian faith is the implied promise that, God, that whoever believes in Christ Jesus will have their sins forgiven because Jesus has died for our sins and that as Jesus rose from the grave, that we will have life for God, for with God, for all of eternity, standing before him, justified. In a time of uncertainty, I've, I, I mentioned this, I think, a few weeks ago. I mentioned this recently in a conversation that if somebody really wanted to get me to a place of deep, deep doubt, that that they would just be able to Google the disciple who said Jesus never died or Jesus never rose from the grave. That, that to me, I look at this, this truth 
as something that gives me great faith, great confidence, as, as things inside and outside seem to be caving all in. Uh, I remember the fact that you can look at the historical record and there is not a single disciple who got to the point where they might die and said, just kidding. You can Google and search for it, but you will not find it. It is not there. So the disciples went to their grave, holding on to the truth that Jesus died and rose from the grave. His brother, what would it take you to be convinced that your brother is the son of God? Well, when your brother is able to say, hey, I'm going to die and rise from the grave and then pull it off, it will bring you to a place of faith. And so James saw a risen brother and he put his faith in Jesus. So what do you make of Jesus? A man who was able to predict his own death and predict his own resurrection and then pull it off. C.S. Lewis wrote up that Jesus, you, you have three options. He's, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. So I'm going to ask you here a question that I asked in week one. What do you make of Jesus? Is he a good guy? No, he is so much more. A good guy that says a whole lot of things. Do you consider, if you look at Jesus and take his words to be true, if you fall short of he is Lord, then you have to look at him as a liar. Is he truly a good man that is also a liar? Can you call him a good teacher? You, you, I hear many that say Jesus is a good teacher. Have you read his words? Because at some point you have to call him a liar if you don't believe he's Lord. Can that make him a good teacher? He said a lot of loony stuff if it's not true. So what do you make of Jesus? That he never existed? There's too much historical proof. It would take more faith to believe that he didn't exist than to believe that he did. You don't care? Is your eternity worth at least a little bit of thought? What do you make of Jesus? Resurrection is proof and brings us confidence to our faith. The last proof that we have in our text, the certainty of God's promises validates the certainty of my faith. Creation proof, procreation proof, resurrection proof, and then justification, justification proof. The text goes on and concludes with this. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our what? Justification. Justification is that you and I stand before God, guilty as all get out. And that because of his son, because of our belief in his son, because of our faith in his son, that he would look at us justified and righteous. Jesus is our justification. He, we are righteous because Jesus is righteous. I don't know what it's going to look like when I die, but there, if there is going to be some sort of a courtroom scene, but imagine with me, that you die and that you're standing in the courtroom of all of eternity, standing before holy God, who knows every one of your thoughts, who knows every one of your actions, who knows everything you did in private, everything you looked at at your phone, everything you've ever watched. He knows all of it. And you are going to walk into this courtroom. What will give you certainty? What will give you confidence? Are you going to put your confidence in that you can make a case that you were good enough before a perfect judge? You want to die thinking that's your confidence. Or you can enter into that courtroom scene. You can walk in with no confidence in self, but you can walk in with Jesus Christ. 
You can walk in with the confidence that you have an airtight case before the perfect judge for, for, for a few reasons, but, but that Jesus' life has become your life through faith. And so when he looks, when the judge looks at you, sinful you, but sees Jesus, he sees perfection. That's an airtight case. You know what else makes it an airtight case? To walk into the courtroom scene with Jesus Christ? Because if, you're, if the penalty of your sins is truly death and Jesus died for your sins, he paid the death. The wrath of God has already been taken out for your sins because of your faith in Jesus. The judge cannot be considered just if he punished Jesus and now he's also going to punish you. That's not a just God. A just God says, I punished Jesus in your place the penalty has been paid. I just paid off, of, I just paid off Ava's Navient Sally Mae debt. Guess what? It's paid off. Sally Mae can never come back and say, oh, hey, take, I want more money. No, it's paid. It's done. You can't ask for more money. The debt of our sins has been paid. One day you will stand before God. And where is your faith? Are you putting certainty in yourself? What are you batting? 600? Are you, what, like, what are you about? Like, you're, you're always hitting it. You're always nailing it. Or sometimes you don't. Do you want to go into eternity with fingers crossed or with the nail-marked hands of Jesus? The certainty of God's promises validates the certainty of my faith. Creation is a proof. Re uh, procreation is a proof. Resurrection is a proof. And justification is a proof. Faith has no power in and of itself, but there's power in our faith because of the person that we put our faith in. Jesus brings us our confidence. The other night, I was uh, playing this game called uh, 22. It's, this old, it's a game that my brother learned in college, and now it's kind of become a, a family game. The general concept of it is that when you get 22 points, you're out of the game. And, uh, and so Landon just learned it. Brady's also learned it. And so we're kind of the, the four of us with Ava are, are all playing this game. Uh, I'm crushing it. I have zero points, which is good. That means I'm winning. Uh, and Ava has seven points. Brady was knocked out in like three hands, so bye-bye, Brady. Uh, and then Landon has 19 points, so he's on the verge of losing. Like, he's like one hand away from losing. Uh, but like Landon, I guess, takes after me, and even on the verge of losing, he's still talking uh, tons and tons of trash, he's, even though he's on the brink of losing. And so he's like talking all of this crap, and I'm like, dude, I will give you $100 if you win this game. Pride. I'm a prideful person. And within three hands... I'm out of the game. Uh, I got a whole bunch of points. Landon literally knocked me out of the game after I said that. And I was like, okay, but Ava still has seven points. So, you know, like we're, we're, we're still good. But then all of a sudden, like I get knocked out of the game. And like three hands later after that, it's 19-19. Like Ava's on the verge of losing. And, and Landon's like, and, and he calls in Brady. Brady comes in, and Brady's like, hey, we're going to get $100. I'm like, where's the we in this? But, but like, he's there. He's cheering on his brother. And it gets to the point where now it's coming down to the last hand, and they're all saying, like, what are we going to do with $100? What are we going to do with $100? I actually FaceTimed my mom and was like, you'll never believe this. Your oldest son is screwed. I'm going to have to give my son $100. I'm about to lose it gets to the last hand. They flip over their cards. The high card keeps the points. Ava flips over a two, and Landon flips over a three. 
Landon loses. Brady's face is like, what just happened? Landon is sure disappointment. I'm dancing in the kitchen because I did not have to give my oldest son $100. Landon never once asked me, Daddy, is there $100 in your bank account? He never asked, Mom, did you get enough work this week? He never asked a whole slew of questions. No, when Daddy promised to give him $100 if he won the game, he took it with certainty because Daddy keeps his word. If I were to stand and I was, if I were to tell my kids, hey, we're going on a cruise. They're going to FaceTime grandma. They're going to text their friends. They're going to do a whole slew of things. Why? Because if daddy says it, it's going to happen. Because daddy is trustworthy. Daddy keeps his promises. If daddy says it, it's going to happen. If you walk up to my kids and say, hey, I'm going to take you on a cruise. Number one, that's creepy. But then number two, they're going to look at me and say, daddy, is it true. But for me, they will take it as certain. They will start packing their bags because as a good father, a good father always delivers on his promises. How much more can we look at our good father and count on his good, good promises? Where's the breakdown? The breakdown happens when, when a father lies to their kids, when a father isn't trustworthy. There's a breakdown when, when you look at somebody and, and you think that, that you're entitled to so much more. You, you, look, at, you look at a good father and you, and, and you think that he is promising something that he's not promising and that builds a sense of entitlement. I look at my heavenly father and I say, I see all of my sin and I say, God, I am entitled to nothing. And yet you give me your son because you promised me your son. You're entitled to nothing like me. And in this moment, I'm asking you with no sense of entitlement to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the son of God who died for your sin, for my sin. Why? Because when God makes a promise, he means it. And when he says, I so love the world, that includes you. Would you pray with me? God, in this moment, I pray that there are people watching. Lord, I'm praying, Lord, that there were people moved by worship in the beautiful name of Jesus. Father, I pray that there are people watching this that, 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 that looked at faith as something not logical or look at, looked at faith as like, oh, it's just a big pie in the sky. But no, that we can have certainty of faith because of the certainty of God. And Father, I'm praying on a Thursday night that in the coming weeks that people would watch this and say, I, for the first time ever, trust the name of Jesus. And if that is you, would you simply pray something like this wherever you are at? God, I am sorry for my sin. I do not want to walk into that courtroom on my own accord because I have nothing to bring. I trust in the name of Jesus who died for my sin. I trust that you took the wrath, your wrath meant for me out on Jesus and that by placing my faith in him, I have forgiveness that you look at me as clean and welcome me into all of eternity with you. I trust that in this moment 
I take on his life and I want to live as Jesus lived. I trust you. In your name, amen. If you prayed that, I want to stay connected with you. There is going to be a link below that you can fill out a form and we will will connect with you. We'll email you. We'll call you. We just want to talk with you and say, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's a glorious, it's an awesome thing. And if you even want to get back, you might be watching this at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Or 10 a.m.? 10 a.m.? I don't know. Whenever we play this on a Sunday morning, there's still time to even walk to Shelter's Cove, drive to Shelter Cove, and you can come and get baptized with us. Or just fill out a link below about baptism. And at some point, it would be my privilege to dunk you, bring you up out of the water, and tell all of the world that you now believe in Jesus. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. Peace. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Tom's River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.